This is Linder Lindblad, CTO of the Forever Social. This, I believe, will be my last words. Whoa, what happens next is not pretty. Forever Has Fallen is a podcast thriller drawing you into heart racing action, fusing an immersive soundscape with online challenges, rewards, and hidden content. Humanity's hope for immortality is on the run. Join the hunt for the truth. Foreverisfallen.com. Stay up to date on the latest from Heidi Ellen's story. Make sure you subscribe, download, follow, and rate Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. It was April 3, 1994, a snowy Easter Sunday just before 8 in the morning when Heidi made her last transaction at the D&W convenience store in Mexico where she worked and then disappeared. But the big question remains tonight, where is Heidi Allen? What do you think happened to Heidi? What was done with her body? He laid down in two areas, which was a sign, it's an indication that there were human remains. All I know is they ended up chopping her up. If they would have put that van on my trailer and Heidi would have been in that van, that's where it would have went, right to the shredder. I've been in the system from day one, and you know, there's nothing else I can say. This is the story of Heidi Allen. The story of a small town kidnapping where corruption got in the way of justice. The truth is finally coming out. In the last episode, we learned that on the eve of the hearing to determine whether or not Gary Thibodeau's 1995 conviction should be overturned, District Attorney Greg Oakes dumped a massive amount of crucial information on the defense. Information that Oakes sat on for more than five months. Buried in what seemed like an endless amount of information were more people who came forward with details that were consistent with what Thibodeau had been saying for more than 20 years. He was not involved. Throughout the course of the 14-day hearing, Lisa Peebles and Gary's defense team did their best to expose the truth. I wasn't in a position to make friends. That wasn't what I was doing. I was um, fighting for Gary's freedom because I knew he was innocent, and I wasn't about to play games with a prosecutor that I didn't have any faith or trust in. This is Peebles for the People, and I'm Alex Peebles. I don't know what the world's been missing, but I think we need a miracle. I'm tired of being held and I'm tired of watching these people die. Despite a massive amount of new material having been dumped on them, at around 4 p.m. the Friday before the hearing, Gary's defense team pushed through to present their case. And District Attorney Greg Oakes knows what he did was wrong. I emailed Oakes to address his late disclosure of evidence. Here's what he said. Quote, I recognize that I could have done a better job in providing discovery in a more timely fashion, as I've acknowledged previously. I wish that I had provided material sooner. However, 
While the people's response was not perfect, I sought to make sure that the defense had all information so that they could fairly present their case. While certain aspects of the discovery disclosure were delayed, the people took extraordinary efforts to make sure that the disclosure was thorough and complete. End quote. While addressing the fact that he should have disclosed all of this sooner, he still believes that Lisa Peebles and the defense had ample time to go through the evidence he turned over at the 11th hour. Quote, Moreover, the defense was not irreparably hindered by the timing of the disclosure since the hearing stretched into April of 2015. Since the hearing took place over the course of four weeks, from January to April, the defense ultimately had ample opportunity to review the discovery material, prepare witnesses, and fully present their case during the hearing, to the extent permitted by the rules of evidence. End quote. Just to clarify, the hearing was 14 days spread out between January and April of 2015, and Lisa Peebles says this late disclosure did hinder the defense. First of all, Oakes wasn't aware that the hearing was going to extend into April when he dumped all that information on us. Secondly, it was impossible for us to get everything together that we needed prior to even March before we would have fully gone through everything. But the bottom line was we did scramble and we did spend an enormous amount of time the weekend of and we were trying to get as much information that we could collect together so that we would be prepared for the hearing. Oakes believes that by holding this information back from the defense, he was protecting the integrity of the investigation. Quote, as to why I did not turn over certain items earlier, as I have said, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish that I had provided the defense with the additional discovery sooner. It is important to remember what was occurring at the time, though. We were investigating the matter, looking into new leads, trying to determine whether others were involved. From July of 2014, when the hearing started in January of 2015, and continuously thereafter, the defense was turning everything over to John O'Brien. Evidence was regularly being published on Syracuse.com. Releasing information to your mom meant that it would almost immediately end up online. That type of public disclosure could put the integrity of the investigation at risk. End quote. That explanation is not a valid excuse to withhold Brady material from the defense. His obligation under Brady is to turn over any exculpatory material immediately. Uh, whether or not it gets leaked to the press has no bearing on his ethical obligation to turn that material over. In explaining why he held back that material, Oakes cited a specific example of information he did not want the public to know about. Quote, in August of 2014, I believe, the New York State Police brought a canine unit to the location on Rice Road in Mexico. As we all know now, the canine hit on a spot in the woods. After that occurred, I met your mother at the scene, and she asked me to advise what happened with the canine. I told her that I would tell her if she promised that it would remain between the two of us and not end up in the press. She promised, so I told her. She later told John O'Brien, and it ended up online. After that, I became more guarded, knowing that whatever I told her would end up in the press. Therefore, to maintain the integrity of the investigation, I could not tell her everything immediately and provide all information in real time. Nevertheless, 
I wish I had provided it sooner than I did. But again, I don't believe the delay impaired the integrity of the proceeding or determined the outcome. End quote. Oakes claimed that he was trying to protect the integrity of the investigation, but in his court filing from October of 2014, arguing that Gary Thibodeau should not be granted a new trial, he conceded that there was no ongoing investigation and that it was determined that Bohr, Steen, and Breckenridge were no longer suspects. Quote, when I spoke with attorney Bianco in May of 2013, I told her that the Oswego County Sheriff's Department had concluded its investigation. In fact, I told her that law enforcement had determined that Tanya Priest was not a credible witness, and I explained the basis for that belief. For that reason, consistent with our prior agreement, I told counsel that I would be sending her a copy of all material developed during the investigation so that she could make her own assessment and take whatever steps she deemed appropriate. I fully expected this motion a year ago. End quote. In his court filing, Oakes also wrote, quote, It appears that the defense did not conduct any independent investigation of its own. Notably, most of the, quote, newly discovered evidence that defendant points to as grounds for his motion consists of witness statements and recordings obtained by the Sheriff's Department between February and May of 2013, end quote. Again, I think it's important to point out, Oakes wrote that Gary Thibodeau should not be granted a new trial and there was no need for a hearing while withholding exculpatory information from the defense. And let's not forget who found the cabin in the woods, because it wasn't the Sheriff's Office. Here's Lisa Peebles again. They weren't investigating the case. We were investigating the case. I recruited John O'Brien to investigate the case because I couldn't get appointed to represent Gary at the time because I was the federal public defender. We tried recruiting a lawyer to get involved to help Gary, but Gary didn't have any money, so he couldn't pay a lawyer, so they'd have to do it for free. And I wasn't going to sit there knowing that an innocent man was sitting in prison without letting all of this information be released to the public. So I recruited John O'Brien. And with John O'Brien in our office, we started investigating the case, not the Sheriff's Department. And when we came upon information that we felt that the Sheriff's Department should be aware of, that is the cabin that we found, we notified them. So we were actually notifying the Sheriff's Office and the District Attorney's Office as we were doing our investigation the fact that Oakes couldn't control the narrative that was being sent out to the public was just too bad. He didn't like it, but it wasn't his call when to turn over Brady material. And by the way, he filed his opposition to our motion in October while he was holding back critical information that would have corroborated what Priest had said to investigators about Steen's admission. So again, he has no business claiming that he had an issue with the information being revealed to the public uh, since we were the ones that were investigating the case. Also, according to television reporter Alex Dunbar, who covered the case, he was getting information from someone outside of Gary's defense team. We were all there on Rice Road, um, kind of staying back from, you know, from the scene There was, you know, they, you know, the police tape up and all of that. Um, and but we were I mean, I was fortunate enough to have some good sources, uh, 
that were also giving me some information. So when you got that information, what did you do from there? We did. We included it in an article. Um, you know, the source I got it from was, I considered very reliable. And we, you know, put it, we put it in an article. Uh, and was that source, did, where did that source come from? Was it from inside of the Gary's defense team? I'm limited what I can say. I, I, I will say this. That source was not from Gary Thibodeau's defense team. The claim that Oaks was holding back information to protect the integrity of an investigation that had admittedly already been closed is not a valid reason to sit on Brady material in the first place. Secondly, it's clear that reporters were not solely relying on the defense for information. And during the hearing, Lisa Peebles said on the record that Oaks even questioned the integrity of the sheriff's office and their investigation into the new evidence. As far as the integrity of this investigation, I sat in that room yesterday with Mr. Oaks and he told me that he questioned the integrity of the sheriff's department, that he had questions with regard to the lead investigator assigned to this case. That is Investigator Petrosky. Oaks never disputed these statements in court when he was on the record. But when I asked him about it recently, he claimed that Lisa Peebles misrepresented what he told her. Quote, I had a closed-door discussion with your mom, for which Randy and Mark Moody were present, in which I offered to have the AG's office become involved. Although she misrepresented what I said when we returned to the courtroom, I wasn't going to get into an argument in open court in front of the press. Instead, I wanted to focus on why we were there. I didn't want to make the proceeding more of a spectacle than what it had already become. End quote. To be clear, Lisa Peebles said on the record that Oaks questioned the integrity of the people who were leading the charge in the investigation. If that were false or mischaracterized, why wouldn't he object to that? Greg Oaks definitely said to me, in connection with having the AG's office look at Gary's file, that he did not have faith in the Oswego County Sheriff's Department and specifically the lead investigator, James Petrosky. I, first of all, I wouldn't make that up. And secondly, I said it in open court uh, in response to his claim that his office was doing everything they could to turn over Brady material uh, in as quickly as and, and immediately as possible, which wasn't the case. On the first day of the hearing, both the prosecution and the defense were called into Judge King's chambers to discuss the massive amount of material that was disclosed to the defense at the 11th hour. After Judge King reprimanded Oaks for what the defense claimed was prosecutorial misconduct, the focus turned to evidence from March of 2013 that magically disappeared. We've heard from Jennifer Westcott a lot now, but remember, the first time we heard from her was because she was on a monitored phone call with Tanya Priest admitting that James Steen, Roger Breckenridge, and Michael Bohr took Heidi to a trailer Westcott was at on Rice Road. That phone call prompted the Oswego County Sheriffs to bring Westcott in and question her. Remember, Sheriff's Investigator James Petrosky questioned Westcott in 2013, and during that interview, she said that she texted Richard Murtaugh before going to talk with the police. Would you consent to us going through your phone? And you would consent to that? What up? 
and I'll take it upstairs and have them run it. And okay, I'll get them all set for them. Run it up. Because I was even, I even uh, texted Dick Murtaugh today, Rich Murtaugh today, and asked him about, about it. I asked that because the, supposedly Tanya says that the van was jumped there. So I asked the Rich Murtaugh today, I said, does Thumper have anything to do with the missing of Heidi Allen? Mm -hmm. And he said, who's this? With some question marks. And I said, Jen. And he came right back. He's, and I don't know. I guess if you're going to scan it, you'll be able to read it all in Westcott said she reached out to Richard Murtaugh because Tanya Priest said the van was scrapped at Crosby Hill Junkyard. But of all of the statements, recordings, text messages, and Facebook messages between Westcott and Priest, there is no record of Priest ever saying the van was scrapped at Crosby Hill. So why did Westcott think to text him? Murtaugh owned Crosby Hill Junkyard, and we know that Bohr, Breckenridge, and Steen were tied together not only through the sale of drugs, but also through scrapping junk cars at Murtaugh's. And remember, we've already heard Westcott confess to police and Oaks that Breckenridge told her what happened to Heidi. Tracy said, I, we, he jumped the van, he jumped the van. I said, what do you mean he jumped the van? I said, I don't want, I want to just take me home. Just take me home. And that was the end of the, that was the whole, I didn't go back around for a couple days. Did you ever talk about this again? You must have. No. No, we didn't talk about it until um, Roger was interrogated. That's when I was like, dude, you need to tell me right now what the fuck is up. And he's like, something about being she was taken care of. And I don't know what that means. I've never known what it means. Could that explain why Westcott thought to text Murtaugh before being questioned by Petrosky? Did Murtaugh know something no one else did? The text exchange between Westcott and Murtaugh seemed like it could support the defense's theory about what happened to Heidi. But what did those text messages say? And where were they? By now, you already know how obsessed I am with the game Best Fiends. It's hands down my favorite game to play after a long day. Not only am I winding down when I play it, but it keeps my mind engaged as I try to solve puzzles and beat levels. The coolest part though, is exploring all of the different worlds within the game. I think my favorite world to explore is the ominous ocean. Man, what a fun challenge. I find myself playing whenever I get a minute of downtime, and I can play anywhere. I don't need Wi-Fi or any bandwidth to play. Best Fiends also allows me and my family to stay competitive with each other from a distance. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode of Peebles for the People is brought to you in part by Real Paper. Look, by now you already know that I've made the switch from name brand toilet paper to real paper, the tree-free toilet paper. Thinking about how many trees it takes to make one pack of toilet paper is what made me switch. 
That and the fact that real paper is BPA free and plastic free. And obviously, I would not have switched if I didn't think that it could get the job done. Not to mention how easy it is to purchase real paper. I just go online and place my order and shipping is free. There are so many good things about real paper and one of them is that with every purchase, you are helping fund access to clean toilet options to those in need. Use my coupon code PEEBLES, that's P-E-E-B-L-E-S, to receive 25% off your first order at realpaper.com. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R, realpaper.com. Here's the transcript of Oaks, Lisa Peebles, and Judge King addressing the missing text messages on the first day of the hearing. Oaks, additionally, Your Honor, you'll see at the bottom of the second page, I made a note to be addressed, the text messages between Jennifer Westcott and Richard Murtaugh as we discussed. I had looked through the records the Sheriff's Department over the weekend. I don't see photograph of that text message from Jennifer Westcott's phone. I don't see it. Now, I can acknowledge, and again, I can talk with Ms. Peebles. I spoke with Mr. Murtaugh last week, and he did acknowledge receiving a text message from Jennifer Westcott, and that he had responded, who is this, or words to that effect. And again, I believe it may have been discussed with Jennifer Westcott by Investigator Petrosky. Lisa Peebles. I guess the issue I have is she was reading from her phone the text messages during the interview, and he took her phone to examine it, and all of her other text messages I have screenshots of, except for those messages, and I swore I thought I had them because I remembered her talking to him about taking the phone, and I realized that I was never given those text messages. So there's a discussion about it. She's reading them from her phone, he takes the phone, and I get all the other text messages, and for some reason, those aren't included, and I thought they were very significant, so... Oaks. And again, I... I thought I had recalled seeing them at one point too, but there were a number of text messages. But again, I went through, I don't see that they're there. I asked Investigator Petrosky, if we have screenshots of everything else, why not that? Judge King, yes, that seems a little odd. During that conversation, everyone agreed that pictures of the text exchange between Westcott and Murtaugh were documented. But somehow, part of that exchange just vanished. And after King asked what was being done to locate those text messages, Oaks said he would be investigating the disappearance of that evidence further. But to this day, no one that we know of, outside of the Westcott interview, has seen those messages. Whenever Heidi's kidnapping comes up, Murtaugh's name seems to follow. Even when I called Heidi's aunt, Martha Sturtz, she mentioned Murtaugh. Yeah, I, I'd love for you to let me know uh, if you check out the junkyard people. Uh, you never find anything on them. Murtaugh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, I won't even say the name, so, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't say the name? Oh, no. Why? They, yeah, because I just, I have nothing to do with them. They don't, but they must know something, too, because they were all pretty nervous. What raises even more questions is the fact that when called to testify, Westcott was escorted in and out of the hearing by Murtaugh's wife and sister, and reporters like Dunbar saw this firsthand. 
I, I remember my photographer and I were, were trying to understand this of like what was the connection and a lot of the Crosby it seemed like these people were connected to the Murtaugh's I should say you know Murtaugh people were trying to shield her from the cameras and we were a little unclear like well what why are why are they trying to shield her from the cameras like what what's what's the relationship here were the Murtaugh's there to make sure Westcott didn't say the wrong thing? Gary Thibodeau seemed to think so. Uh, what the heck is her name? Uh, Wils Wiscott? Westcott? Westcott, yeah. Jennifer there? Well, she couldn't, she couldn't move her lips unless these two girls that were sitting behind me instructed her on what to say. I heard about it. Uh, you, did you see it yourself? I seen it. Okay. And I, I kept look, I'm wondering why the hell she's looking at me. I don't know her. But then I noticed she's not really looking at me. She's looking all over my right shoulder. So I turn around and look, and I see this big girl with black hair and some other broad with her. And they start moving their hands and their mouth. So then I look back up there, and then she's looking over there again. So I look back again, and it's the same thing. So I really didn't see anything, but I had people tell me yeah. that they seen it. I heard about that, too. Gary was describing Beth Murtaugh, Richard Murtaugh's sister. Listen to what she told Investigator Petrosky. As far as where these people goes, fuck you, bitch. Mm -hmm. You want you want to take this and you don't want to find it. You just want to keep your paycheck going. You keep your paycheck going. But you're not going to talk to me. Just like with Jennifer. You're not going to talk to Jennifer. Mm -hmm. right, Jennifer's going to get up on that stand and this is what she's going to do, period, because these are the facts. The facts are how many times do you know people who, when someone else is talking, they're just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, you actually listen to that? Because I did. I ripped that recording apart. I listened to it time and time again. I can hear her telling baby Bruce that he can have this and he can have that. I can hear her slamming shots. I can hear her daughter in the background bitching about shit. And I can hear her answering her daughter. Yet you read Syracuse.com and they say these are all answers to Tanya Priest. No, they're not. No, they're not. No, they're not. Tanya's babbling. She's got all this going on around her, and she's just agreeing with her on half of it. On half of it. Now, she got right up on that stand and told you, I'm a liar. Deal with it. I'm a liar. It's what I did. I own what I did. Here's what I did. How many people have you just been like, uh-huh, 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 on the phone? Then hung up with them. Now, I go a little bit past that with Jennifer and say, how many people say, well, I just put that behind me. Mm. Like, that looks bad. She's right. like, I don't even know, really know what I was even saying about that. She's like, I really just don't. She's like, I was half in the bag in the first place. I've got Kristen. You can hear Kristen. And let me tell you what, if you know her daughter, oh, my God. Her daughter's a little bitch. <laughs> I actually wadded her daughter last year. I mean, wadded her heart last year because I just had enough of her shit. Oh, yeah, she's a little bitch. Beth Murtaugh's intense interest in what Jen Westcott told Tanya Priest begs the question, was Westcott being coached on what to say on the stand? We're going to get into Westcott's testimony a bit later. But remember... Westcott has repeatedly expressed concern about saying something that would put her in danger. And we just heard Beth Murtaugh brag about assaulting Westcott's daughter. You know, if he gets out of prison, what she could be coming after me. Hey, hey. What did he say? 
Beth Murtaugh met with Petrosky after another person said the Murtaugh's would brag about Heidi's kidnapping. And she makes it pretty clear that she doesn't want anyone bringing up the Murtaugh name with police. And see, she's tried to do it the sneaky way because she knows the biker community is going to fuck her up for this. That's why I asked you the absolute information of who came to you. I told you. And how did you get that information? I told you. So you got this information from... And you also have... ...saying this stuff on a voice recorder to Tanya Priest. And in those, yeah, Snapchats or whatever. So what did Jennifer... So, so was, it, was Jennifer and I both saying that we had something to do with this? At the end of the interview, Petrosky even warns Beth Murtaugh not to go after this person for coming forward. I just want to make be sure you have what you need for me. Don't be doing anything stupid, but don't be, don't be stupid. Yeah, don't be calling her. Oh, I'm yeah. not going to call her. Oh, hey, oh don't do not No, no I'm not going to call her. Don't. We haven't heard the name Murtaugh but once before this point in the story. Yet, according to Beth Murtaugh, Oaks was talking to Richard Murtaugh almost every day leading up to the hearing. There's absolutely nothing that I can help you with yeah. with that case. If okay, there was, Thank I you. would have helped Greg a long time ago. Okay. I would have went to Greg. Greg Oaks? You remember him and my, I don't know how much you know or what you mean, but he's talking to my brother almost daily. Hmm. What could Oaks and Murtaugh have been talking so frequently about? Was it the text messages from Westcott? According to Gary's defense team, they were never advised that Oaks was in frequent contact with Murtaugh, and whatever was said was never disclosed to the defense. I tried calling Richard Murtaugh, but he hung up on me almost immediately. Hello? Hi, I'm looking for Rich Murtaugh. What do you need? I'm looking for Rich Murtaugh. My name is Alex Peebles. I'm doing a podcast about the Heidi Allen case, and I saw Rich Murtaugh's name come up and uh, wanted to... The Crosby Hill junkyard was becoming the centerpiece in the new theory of what happened to Heidi. All three of the new suspects, James Steen, Roger Breckenridge, and Michael Bohr, had been connected through Murtaugh's scrapyard, and Bohr even told investigators in 2013 that Murtaugh's scrapyard could be where Heidi's body was taken. What do you think happened to Heidi? What was done with her body? No, what happened to her? What? Where is she? What happened to her? They made her disappear. Who's they? There's any number of places she could have ended up. Um, there was rumor uh, that... Uh, Rick, uh, Ricky, um, what's the name of that salvage yard? Um, something Hill. Crosby Hill? Crosby Hill. Ricky, um, what was their name? Murtaugh. There were 14 people who came forward and said at some point, Steen, Breckenridge, or Bohr, either bragged or made some sort of admission about Heidi's kidnapping. At the beginning of the hearing, all three of the new suspects testified. This was a chance for all sides to get answers. But Oaks made it clear during Steen's testimony 
that he didn't want Steen answering any questions about his potential involvement in Heidi's kidnapping. Here's Dunbar again. Did you see James Steen's uh, testimony? I did. I did and was shocked by it. Steen was subpoenaed by the defense, meaning that he was a witness testifying for the defense. But Steen refused to even talk to Gary's lawyers before the hearing. The only reason he was on the stand was because he was legally obligated to be there. Steen's reluctance to talk to Lisa Peebles in the defense made sense. They were accusing him of Heidi's kidnapping and presumed murder. Now, it's important to understand how questioning a witness works. Because Steen was a witness for the defense, they're not allowed to ask leading questions. A leading question is a question that encourages the desired answer. To give you an example, it is true that you told more than one person you knew what happened to Heidi Allen, isn't it? That is a leading question, but a simple yes or no question is not leading. So if you were to reword the example to something like, did you tell anyone you knew what happened to Heidi Allen? Then it's not a leading question because you're not leading the witness to the answer you're looking for. On top of not being allowed to ask leading questions, the defense is not allowed to impeach their own witness, meaning they cannot attack his credibility. That is unless the judge makes the determination that the witness is hostile. Considering that Gary's defense team was accusing Steen of kidnapping, and he refused to even talk to them, it would seem that that would make him hostile. But Oakes and King thought differently. Oakes seemed to object to almost every question, and the objections were to questions that someone looking for the truth, as Oakes claimed to be, would want the answers to. Bianco, in the early 1990s, did you deal any drugs? Oakes, objection. Steen, I just sold a little weed here and there, but other than that, that's... King, I'll allow it. Miss Bianco, start asking non-leading questions, please. Steen, am I supposed to wait? King, hold on. All these questions are very accusatory. He is your witness. You are bound by the rules of evidence regarding your methodology of questions. You agree with me? Bianco, your honor, I'd ask that he be declared hostile. King, he's done nothing to this point that I can declare him hostile. To give you a better understanding, if the examining attorney who called the witness finds that their testimony is antagonistic or contrary to the legal position of their client, the attorney may request that the judge declare the witness hostile. That would allow Randy Bianco to ask leading questions to Steen and give her the chance to impeach him or go after his credibility. But this is completely up to the judge's discretion. And King refused to declare Steen as hostile repeatedly, even though Steen was visibly hostile on the stand while he was addressing Bianco's questions. There wasn't a discussion there. I didn't want to do them signed statements, and that's the reason I signed them the way I did. I'm doing life without parole in prison, lady. I am not a snitch, plain and simple. Even Dunbar who witnessed it with his own eyes, recognized that Steen was not going to answer key questions about his knowledge of Heidi's kidnapping. And had an interesting back and forth where he made it very clear 
that even if he did know something, he wouldn't have said it because I remember him saying, I'm not a snitch. So, you know, he, he basically was coming right out and saying, you know, I, I'm, I, if I know more, I'm not going to tell you. Okay, let's go back to Bianco questioning Steen on the stand. When you just said that you are not a snitch, is it your testimony that you would not tell on anyone under any circumstances? Not any circumstance. I'm doing life without parole in prison. So that circumstance, nope, you're not going to see me telling anybody. So if you had information about Roger Breckenridge confessing to Heidi Allen, you would not tell because you don't want to be a snitch. I told them what I knew what Roger told us. Told them. If you knew what happened to Heidi Allen and who was responsible, would you tell? No. I don't know. Gary's lawyers were openly accusing Steen of kidnapping and presumed murder. How much more hostile could it get? But the objections kept coming. Bianco, did you ever have a conversation with Roger Breckenridge regarding Heidi Allen's whereabouts? Oaks, objection. King, I'm going to sustain it. I'm unsure as to why Oaks objected to that question or why King sustained it. And why would Oaks, the guy who has said all he cares about is finding the truth and doing justice dozens of times, not want to hear the answer to that question? Well, despite Oaks trying to suppress Steen's testimony, Steen answered that question and then some. What did you tell the prosecutors and the two investigators about uh, Breckenridge's or the possibility of Breckenridge's involvement with the disappearance of Heidi Allen? What did you tell them? Well, what was said that day is uh, that I was driving, that I worked driving hauling cars for Murtaugh's and that I hauled the load, uh, got back, and it was like two weeks later, a week later. Roger came up to me and said something about me hauling a stolen vehicle, a van. And I said, okay, I went and asked Rich Murtaugh if that happened. He said, no, that was that. Uh, then we discussed further that it was like eight months after that, we were at a party and uh, Roger showed up, he was drunk, and he had mentioned something about, do you know what was in that van? And I said, no, I have no idea what was in that van. And he went on the part about the remains of Heidi Allen. I went and asked Rich Murtaugh the same question. And he told me, no, it wasn't. You said that there were two conversations with Mr. Breckenridge about this. Is that right? The first one was him telling me I hauled a stolen vehicle. And the second one was where? Where was that conversation? And oh, when at a party. I can't remember if it was on the power lines or... It's where everybody would go and there'd be a party. And you keg you'd be drinking it's a keg party i don't know if it was happy valley back then or wherever it was me we were at when I was just, that conversation oh god 95 90, late 94 early 95 middle 95 i don't know exactly i couldn't you know what i mean i don't if i could remember when i was working and where i was working and how when that was going i could be more but i can't i don't sorry 
Did you tell the prosecutors that Roger Breckenridge made a number of comments about Heidi Allen's disappearance? I can remember hearing it over at Westcott's house a couple of times, but other than that, everybody thought Roger was just blowing steam. That's all he ever did. What did Roger say at Westcott's house and when about Heidi Allen's I, disappearance? Both, I, what exactly was ever said, I couldn't, I, we don't, you don't listen to Roger. Roger starts piping off, he's a, how do I say this without getting in trouble up here? Uh, a lot of hot air. You know what I'm saying? He, you never knew if he was telling you the truth. Why do you think I went to Rich Murtaugh when he told me I, I hauled a stolen vehicle? That's going to in Canada with a stolen vehicle. I don't want to go to jail. I didn't want to go to jail back then. That's why I went right to Rich Murtaugh and asked, did I haul a stolen vehicle? And he told me no. How many different times did Roger Breckenridge bring up the subject of Heidi Allen's disappearance with you? Oh, would I... I know those two times. It could have been more that I had heard it or whatever. I, I never kept count. In 2014, during your interview, interview with the prosecutors and the two sheriffs, what did you tell them regarding the shipment taken to the facility? In other words, was the shipment taken directly to the shredder? The shredder? All shipments are taken directly to the shredder. Some are stacked up out in the backyard. Some are taken right there and ran right through. I ran a step deck trailer. So, yeah, I backed up to the shredder and the crane unloaded me. Did you tell them you were told to take the shipment that Breckenridge was told? I drove the step deck trailer. That's where I went. I said if they would have, like I told them that day, if they would have put that van on my trailer and Heidi would have been in that van, that's where it would have went. Right to the shredder. Plain and simple. That's what I told them. Did you tell them, the prosecutors, that you were told to take the shipment directly no. to no. the shipper? No. When Roger made these comments to you about Heidi Allen, you can think of, at this point, four different times that this may have come up? It probably was more, but you heard these comments out of a lot of people. Steen admitted that he was hauling cars to Canada for Richard Murtaugh and that Breckenridge told him Heidi was in a stolen van that was put on his trailer before he took a shipment to Canada. Steen continued to answer Bianco's questions. And while he said if he had any information, he would never tell, Steen admitted that it was possible he unknowingly transported Heidi's remains to Canada. And that's what I told them. I'm not going to sit here and tell on people. And then when I read the paper, what Roger Allen put in the paper, which, which Roger Breckenridge put in the paper, that, yeah, he picked up the van that he, well, sure, that's what I was told. I told them I had nothing, knowingly, nothing to do with Heidi Allen's disappearance. And I had nothing knowingly to do with Heidi Allen's disappearance because I didn't know if that van was on the back of my truck. I didn't inspect my loads when I went and delivered them. They were cabled, they were done, I got in the truck, I drove, I dropped them off, I came back. They were crushed cars. Breckenridge took the stand after Steen. Here's what Dunbar remembers from Breckenridge's testimony. It did get on in the hearing when he was acknowledging he had tried to get word to Jennifer Westcott for her to shut up. And, you know, that made all of our eyes pop a little bit because, you know, anything that's even could be seen as potential witness influence, you know, or, or 
witness influencing, witness influence, I mean, anything down that road is, you know, is, is pretty concerning. Here's what Dunbar was referring to. Did you say to Emmy, your sister, on the phone, to tell Jennifer Westcott to shut the fuck up about Heidi Allen? Yes, I ma'am, I did. She yeah. don't know nothing what's going on, that's why. The girl's crazy. Did Breckenridge try to silence Westcott because he was scared the truth about Heidi's kidnapping would come out? Find out on the next episode of Peebles for the People. That free men go. Lord, you let that free men go. Lord, you let that free men go. Stay up to date on Heidi Allen's story by following and subscribing to Peoples for the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you want to see all of the police reports, the transcripts, the witness statements that I look at while I'm doing my research, feel free to click on the link in the description.